This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. And welcome to our fourth and final World Cup bonus episode. The World Cup is over for England after a defeat to the French with an assist from a Brazilian referee. Can we rely on the return of Premier League football to lift our spirits at this festive period? This week, as always, I'm joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. We're out. Football has not come home, but the Premier League, is it returning like the prodigal son? I, I, I feel so. I think, you know, ultimately, once again, hopes and dreams of Harry Kane lifting up the World Cup trophy is once again shattered, um, along with probably some glass windows where his penalty is yet to land. Um, and as we say, Boxing Day marks the return of Premier League football. It's It's still non-stop in terms of football being on the telly because you know we know what the Christmas fixtures are like but yeah once again World Cup disappointment um I not I might not be the only one but I, I think I'm ready for maybe just a little bit of a break from football because it has been non-stop um you do mention that football did not come home but also England did bring home um a cat which they were staying with um in their Qatar um training hotel and uh, base while they were out in Doha uh, so Dave the Cat is returned home if the football did not. It's not quite silverware, is it? But I guess as token prizes go, I guess it will do. It, it, it's one you pick up from the arcade. Not, I'm not <laughs> saying that cats are being sold in arcades, but here we go. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it just became a bit disappointing, didn't it? And a bit just towards it, it all kind of, kind of petered out in the game. I thought we played really well. I think we could have won and I think had it gone to extra time, we would have won that game. It just feels so anticlimactic after all these weeks of football and then it's, oh, there's no, just no big fanfare or anything. We didn't seem to have like a big moment like we have in previous major tournaments and it's, all right, lads, pack up your bags, it's home time. Yeah, it, it it like you said, it did peter out slightly. I did, I did mention on the previous episode that I ultimately had we, in the manner of which we lost, or if we were going to go into this match against France and if we were going to lose the game, I don't mind. That just depends on how we play. And we played fantastically well and arguably were the better side. Um, I'm now going to say, screw what I said last week. I'm just utterly disappointed that we haven't been able to sort of go on to the next step because ultimately we'd be playing Morocco and um, have we got past them either of Croatia and Argentina to win the World Cup and on our day we can beat any of those sides and yeah screw what I said last week I'm massively disappointed uh, yeah I can't see anything more than that it is hard not to be upset at this point yeah but then we can look at it and say well it's a stupid world cup in winter no one wants to win there it's in qatar it's held in a silly place and no no nobody wants to be like the shortest lived um world champions in in world cup history so yeah stuff them 
yeah, you only get three and a half years if you win it this time around. So exactly. So yeah, it's, it. it's not worth it at all, is it? Not worth it at all. Massively um, overhyped. I suppose looking at the result, we've obviously got now our England players back probably a bit sooner from Qatar than maybe we otherwise would have had they gone through to the final. As you say, it's been non-stop football. They've a lot of players have been out there grinding away in Qatar, not just for England, but for a lot of countries. And now we're straight into a winter Premier League schedule, which is absolutely chaotic. That I just don't. I, as you, you, you're mentally drained from the football. I'm mentally drained from the football. God knows how the players are going to feel, because they're going to come back from Qatar, and then what? In less than two weeks' time, we've got the return of the Premier League on Boxing Day. Yep. And then between Boxing Day and the 5th of January, they, everyone has three games. It's... I'm tired. I can't be... I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> I'm tired of football. I want a rest, please. There's only so much 10 o'clock in the morning football that I can take. Um, I'm not saying that there has been a 10 o'clock kickoff for quite a number of days now because obviously that was during the group stages, but it, it was just a festival of football. And, and now you've had so much... Normally in other years, we obviously have the World Cup and then there'd be, you know, just nothing else for the rest of the summer until the Premier League returns. But because it is a Winter World Cup, suddenly the football just is non-stop. So, you know, we, we I think, you know, having... We had obviously a big break for Premier League sides um, sort of leading up to this, well, during this World Cup. It now was starting to see the potential what I'd probably just put in air quotes is the downsides because the the schedule is now going to become so congested because of having this World Cup that you know fixtures are going to be non-stop as you've mentioned the League Cup also returns um just before the end of uh, end of the year that's a fair point like if we're looking at Brighton for example who are one of the other 14 teams in the League Cup in these late stages so they're going to be playing what, a couple of days after the World Cup on like the 21st or 22nd? They've then got a fixture on the 26th. They've then got a game on the 31st. And then one on the... Sorry. And then one on the 3rd of January. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's even for fans. like Because we want we talk about how fans create the atmosphere and create the match day experience. I'm sitting here after having watched the, the World Cup. Don't get me wrong. Probably a little bit deflated because of England's result. But I'm thinking, first of all, over the next two days, we've got the semi-finals of the World Cup. I don't think I'll bother tuning in. Genuinely just not sure I'm that fussed by watching any of them at the moment, um, particularly given the teams that are in it. They're not games that... I, I don't think there's going to be any surprise results no. out of them. And I, I not, I've got... Before I say this, I've got absolutely nothing against Croatians, but and it pretty much seems as though it does sum up tournament football. But Croatia have only won one game in this entire World Cup. What in ninety minutes? In uh, even one hundred and twenty, if you count, you know, because oh, they, they got penalty they shootout against yeah, Japan and penalty shootout against yeah. Brazil. Croatia have only won one game in this entire World Cup, and they've made a semi-final. Oh my! Well, England have won three, three drawn and and and, and a loss. Oh my! Well, this th- oh, that's that's exasperating. But I'm going to be going to 
West Ham games when they return to the London Stadium. And so the first one of those is on the 30th of December. I've got to try and muster up some energy to go and cheer on a team. And I feel so deflated about football. I don't know. Maybe I've just been particularly picky or down about football I, at the moment. I yeah, just think I, it's really tough. It, it might help just to be sort of get back into sort of like your partisan groups and just support your team as opposed to the, the whole nation sort of joins together. And because the whole nation feels deflated, at least some clubs can start to be feeling happy that they get, you know, get back to football and start winning games. Yeah. But and if the whole nation sort of losing out against France the other day, everyone's sort of on a bit of a downer. So it it, it is good that the Premier League is back, but it, and, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm feeling deflated. Just, yeah. just so much football. Exactly, which is a weird thing to say from people that are doing a football podcast. Yeah. And hopefully we will be surprised. Hopefully they'll it'll be back with higher quality games. Mm. A lot of players would have had a good bit of rest. A lot of players that didn't go to the World Cup with their clubs have had a couple of like pr- almost pre-season games again to get their fitness back up. Yeah. So maybe a rebirth of the Premier League season. It'll be interesting be... to see what the quality is when the players mm. come back. Absolutely. And, well, we might as well quickly delve back into the England result again, but I think there's... Do we have to? Well, the main thing I want to talk about is, and just maybe ask you the question, is currently there's a lot of talk about Gareth Southgate uh, and his position as manager of the, the England team. I don't think that should change. I think he should stay. I think he's been phenomenal for England. I suppose my question would be, if he was to go, what other 14 manager do you think would be best suited to stepping up into the, his shoes? And where do you think would he would be best placed as a manager if he were to get a job at the other 14? Oh, there's a number of questions going on there. Um, first, of all, well, first of all, I don't think that Southgate should leave the England job. I know he's considering it, and I know they put out but effectively a statement the other day saying that it, is take, you know, it takes its toll that it's taken a lot out of him over these sort of last or sort of however long it's been um that he's been at the helm of um of the England national team. Um I was under the impression, well not under the impression, but my sort of thoughts going into this World Cup that no matter what the result was going to be, I felt that it might have been time, but sort of during the World Cup, the way he's led us through it, um I just don't see any sort of natural replacement for him right now. Whereas he was always like the next man incumbent when um it was Roy and then and Big Sam for one game. Um I, I think the FA would be silly at the moment. I and I don't think they will force him out because I don't think they want to. It no. will be more it's more down to what Gareth wants to do. Hmm. Um and I you know none of us can make his decision for him. It's ultimately down to him. Um but I think the way he's led with such class and such humility, I think he should continue. And the results that he gets you know, under him, we've reached a semi-final, a final and a quarter-final of major tournaments. Whereas, you know, in previous years, that's nowhere near what we were achieving, especially with the so-called golden generation under um, Sven-Goran Eriksson and, and Fabio Capello. Um, so I would like him to stay. But then going on to your actual question, in terms of another, I think in terms of one of the other 14 managers who actually comes into that side, into sort of leading the England side, Ultimately, I think I can only realistically look at one one name and that's Eddie Howe. I think they're pretty much cut from the same cloth. Um, the way they sort of conduct themselves and their sort of style of play. Um, Eddie has 
the way he's gone about his job at Newcastle has been thoroughly impressive. And I I can't see him if the job was to open up um, at, for England, him being lured so quickly away from Newcastle, considering it's not been that long since he's taken over. Um, but that would be the, the person for me who ideally I'd like to take over. Um, do you think the FA would be able to lure him away from Newcastle? Because no. he's currently got possibly the biggest project in football in terms of the backing yeah. that he's receiving from exactly the Newcastle owners. Which, as much as I would, that would be the name that I would like. It's not the most feasible, um, and I, it, it pretty much an impossible task, I think, for the FA to lure him away. Um, in terms of where Gareth could end up, it's always an interesting one, sort of comparing international football between not international football and club football, because I think there are two different beasts. Um, yeah, very rarely the... do you have a manager that excels at club football and international football. You don't really get that crossover yeah, very often. It, it It's a difficult one. It, it'd be interesting because I don't want it to be ended up sort of like he goes into a big a big job and then it just completely doesn't work for him. Um, mm. It's difficult to see where his level, because I think the last time he actually managed in club football was... God, how long ago was it? Was it? Oh, it was Barra ages ago, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, so he hasn't been in that sort of line of work for quite some time now, and for him to sort of immediately sort of get going, I think would, I don't think it will come as easily. But you know, yeah. he's, he's he's a class manager, he, and clearly talented at what he does. And um, so who knows? I don't think it would be a big club, um, but I think it would be one of the um, one of the higher ups. It could just be, you know, you never know. It could just be a straight swap between Gareth Southgate and Eddie Howe. Um, but it's never going to work like that. No, of course not. No, um, but no, that's interesting. I, I think, I think Gareth. I ultimately, I think Gareth should stay. Yeah, I'd be really upset if he went. Uh, but I do. If they were to sack him, I'd be outraged. If it was his own decision, they will never sack him. No, I don't. Think not, not at this point, they will never but, sack. Him. Yeah, I just think that if he were to walk away himself at this point, I still think there's work to be done. And I still think he is the man to carry it forward. And I think he will just be disappointed if he is to walk away from it when there's still that bit of work to done, be done. And maybe five years down the line, he's looking at the England setup going, oh, I could have managed that team. Especially I with had the proper to... players that we've got coming through. Exactly. We've still got, su- don't get me wrong, we've had the right balance of youth and experience, but we've got such good youth players coming through that have played well. You, you look at Bellingham, you look at Saka, um, as the main ones that kind of stand out from this team, this World Cup. Yeah. But, yeah. Give them another four years and it's a completely different beast, isn't it, of what we're dealing with. Yeah. So. It, it, it's, it's impossible for him to sort of say straight away what he wants to do and what he, it will take you know quite some time I think for him to just sort of you know sit back relax enjoy Christmas have a bit of a break from it all because it has been quite draining sort of the build up to this World Cup um, so, and the stress of sort of you know seeing teams still playing literally days before the World Cup even starts hmm. I, I think he does need that sort of like period away just to sort of reflect and sort of refresh his um, refresh his mind um, and then just sort of make the decision from that point on. But absolutely, who knows? Who knows? And, a, and I think part of it is he's spoken about how intense and tough it's been. That was because there was a delayed Euros. Yep. So he 
He's literally had just over a calendar year. He's the had turnaround 18 time, months of two major tournaments. Yep. Um, which is absolutely mad, like how on top of it each tournament has been. Yep. So hopefully um, he'll have... He's now got a little break. He doesn't... We've got the... We've now got a delayed... Uh, well, for him, we've he's got a little break. He's got the... Um, Actually, March international break will be the next time. I would imagine so. Um, that's come around. So, yeah, I'm just trying to see when the next international break is. Yeah, late March, we've got um, an international break. Is that the recommencement break. of the National League or is that... Um, Nations League, you mean? Um, yeah, what do I, I say? You said National League. league yeah. So um, Yeah, the recommencement of the Nations League. That's I don't what think I England will be playing Wrexham or Southend. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I imagine so, but I'm not entirely sure. Or it might just be European qualifiers. Yeah. Um at this point, not sure, but he's got a bit of a break now and I just as long as he doesn't rush into a decision. I um, think that's I think, I think that's, that's best don't rush into it. Yeah. Exactly. And there's no pressure. Uh, but no. And uh, he's probably he's quite in a um sort of uh quite a nice position or sort of quite a rare um position actually where he's actually for an England manager, he actually gets to decide his future for once, whereas you know, England managers of the past have just sort of been literally games and bad tournaments away from from the sack so that's what you get when you're massively successful exactly i know that's bold saying massively successful he has not won a trophy but then realistically for international managers you get two chances every four years you get the world cup and then like the kind of regional uh, continental tournaments so whether that be um the euros or afcon or copper america so it's really intense it's really tough but looking at his amount of knockout games he's won versus any other manager over any other period of time it's completely unparalleled so Mm. yeah there's let's hope he stays um and i suppose we should quickly talk about uh because i don't think we mentioned it when it was confirmed but in terms of managerial appointments Gary O'Neill has been confirmed as Bournemouth manager, as we expected him to be. But then today, Tom, they've got confirmed new ownership. Yes, um, AC Bournemouth uh, finally confirmed today that the conglomerate um, uh, led by the American um, businessman Bill Foley as part of the Black Knight Football Club um has officially gone through that takeover has finally been confirmed and that owner Maxim Demin has sold his 100% stake in the club. Um, this has been long, long in the pipeline for Bournemouth. And I think we, we mentioned this quite a number of episodes ago that the fact that it was still sort of up in the air or not necessarily up in the air, but sort of um, in a position to nearly be going through and nearly be going through. This was just around the time that, Scott Parker um, lost his job and Gary Neal taken over and obviously the work that Gary Neal has done over the sort of month, couple of months that he's been in charge as interim boss obviously you know started off really well with a good couple of draws and a uh, number of wins under his belt especially after the 9-0 uh, Liverpool defeat and for it's now him to be downhill from then on hasn't it but I suppose it's been now... downhill but I think they, they did win the last couple of games I think before the break so it did turn it around slightly, but for there's just a bit of a bit of stability now um, when it comes to Bournemouth. Yeah, I suppose that, there's the new, less the owner, the ownership is, Yeah, new ownership has been confirmed. Manager's been made permanent. 
Um, and the good work that Maxim Demian has done in terms of his sort of ownership and tenureship of, of the club as owner um, throughout these years, and now hand the keys over to Bill Foley and um, this uh, group that's come in effectively can lead Bournemouth to hopefully, for their supporters, bigger and better things. I just, you're right, that's the aim. But what do you do with Bournemouth? They're in a small ground. They have a, like, compared to the rest of the league, their ground is tiny. They have a really, I'm going to say poor, because it is significantly lower than the rest of the league. Their average attendance in term, as a percentage of full capacity is quite low. I just don't know how you really develop the club unless you go, all right, we're going to build a new ground. But then there's no it, real indication that they're ever going to fill it week in, week out. No, ultimately, I don't I don't think that is the initial sort of mission statement from Bill Foley. And just a sort of a quick overview in terms of who Bill Foley actually is. I've mentioned that he's a Texas, um, Texas businessman. He's 77 years of age at uh, the time of recording. Um, and it was also part of uh, the ownership group of the Vegas Golden Knights, who is a um, NHL ice hockey team uh, out in the States. Um, he's obviously come in with the looks of trying to, again, be one of these American owners that's come in. He's said straight away um, when, you know, ideas of him sort of taking over as owner of the club were sort of being thrown around, that he wants to look into sort of providing sustained investments um, and build upon Bournemouth's sort of recent success, not sort of within the last sort of couple of years or so, because um, they have been sort of relegated down from the Premier League back to the Championship. Um, but they had a sustained period of time in the Premiership under Eddie Howe, of course. Um, and now being back in the Premiership, he wants to look to sustain that um, that position, obviously for the club. He also is looking to um, put in a massive investment in terms of the club's training facilities and the academies, not looking specifically at grounds because I don't think there's much you can do at the grounds, but he has said that he'll try and um, look to improve the fan experience at the club uh, in terms of the ground um, and also further investment into uh, women's and girls teams at AOC Bournemouth. So not looking specifically at stadiums because as, as you've mentioned already, there's not much you can do with the vitality. It, in terms, unless you can just completely move the ground. I was going to say, well, so I suppose he says he wants to focus on, um, he wants to focus on fan experience. Maybe that'll get more fans through the door um, because I can't remember when it was and I can't mm. remember the exact statistics, but their, their average attendance is pretty low as a mm. percentage of full capacity. So hopefully that will change because yeah. I always imagine Bournemouth as like having a really good atmosphere, but apparently that's generated by not many fans turning up. So I'd like to think that with more fans enjoying match day and wanting to go, that there's a chance that that'll get even better at the small grounds that it is. Absolutely. And um, just to sort of confirm his um, his commitment to the club, he's coming to the um, next home fixture where Bournemouth take on Crystal Palace on the 31st of December on New Year's Eve. And he's actually also bought a home in the local area. Um, in, all, in all fairness, the area down there is absolutely lovely. I mean, yeah, Christ, we took um, the sandbanks sand bank down. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> it's absolutely bonkers that you look at the properties down there and the coastline is but absolutely I don't, gorgeous. I don't blame him for buying a house down there. It is quite a nice part of the country. Um, but it just reaffirms his, his commitment to the club. And I, I think he is, or he does sound, I know it's very difficult to, to see and sort of, I'm not at Bournemouth, I'm not in the know in terms of 
the daily runnings of Bournemouth, but he seems pretty genuine and looking to sort of really, really take um, take Bournemouth up a level, um, as it were. Well, um, I, I wish all the best for Bournemouth fans because it does seem like a positive move, but a lot of the mission statement that he's issued does seem incredibly generic and what every new football owner would be issuing. Like he said, he's hit all the key points that I would expect him to, but because it is fairly generic in that sense of going, oh, training facilities, women's game, all of that kind of stuff is the stuff you expect. So it's hard at this point to really say whether it's good or not. Yeah. And he's also paid quite a nice tribute actually to Maxim Demin, who was the previous or or the outgoing owner. Um, someone who's been at the club for quite a number of years now and out of uh, Bill Foley's own words, effectively saved the club from insolvency, effectively, um, when they were down in the lower leagues. Um, and he's kept Bournemouth afloat throughout these years and obviously seen the rise uh, of Bournemouth. So, um, And just there's a general sort of good feeling and goodwill towards uh, Maxim as he, as, he, as he leaves the vita- uh, vitality. Um, so so that there's it all seems very sort of wholehearted and or sort of quite wholesome the whole sort of handover. That's nice. So well, I'm glad that the uh, I'm glad that the new owner um, has better relations with the old owner than uh, Scott Parker does. <sighs> I didn't go well. No, it didn't. So no. Well, we'll see how this changes Moreau and the club over the next couple of games. And being only three points above the drop zone, it's uh, not easy for them. Uh, but hopefully a little boost in morale will yep. assist them and Gary O'Neill. Yep. Good so. periods of time and poor, poor periods of time. Let's hope the new ownership can um, sort of spur them on. Absolutely. So, Tom, we've covered that England were knocked out at the quarterfinal stage, will not be appearing in the semifinals, but the World Cup is bigger than just England, supposedly. So, 14... Yeah. <laughs> supposedly... Four teams in it, mm. three with representatives from the other 14, one with the GOAT. Who do you want to win the 2022 Qatar World Cup? I know a lot of people were sort of saying, and I presume by the GOAT you mean Alexi McAllister. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, Alexi McAllister. I know, yeah. I, yeah. I, I know a lot of people are sort of quite sort of in a bit of a tirade and a bit angry the way Argentina conducted themselves in the game against Holland the other day. They were disgraceful. Um, they were disgraceful. It was a little bit of shithousery, but don't hey, we all need a little of, bit of shithousery sometimes? One of their players pelted the ball at the Dutch bench. Shithousery. Um, t- mm. <laughs> it's one way to look at it, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it wasn't clever. So you, um, are you I'm, saying I'm sure you're on Argentina it. to win? Uh, yes, I'll, uh, I'll, yeah. The long the long and the short is I want Argentina to win it because ultimately I think it will finally probably put to bed the whole Messi Ronaldo. I, I don't think it will ever get put to bed, but if Messi does win it, then he'll always have a World Cup win over Ronaldo. For that being said. This is another thought. This is the other 14 podcast. We do like the underdogs. Sometimes you do have to look at Morocco as well, the way they've conducted themselves um, throughout this tournament. The first African nation ever, ever to get through to a semi final of a World Cup. That's huge. 
just on the outset, that's absolutely huge. It's also so, the way they've done it. As do they just been tactically better than all of their opposition so far just really good the fact that they've knocked out spain of all people and the fact that spanish tears are still flowing um (laughs) after biscuits um yeah if it isn't going to be argentina um obviously with the representative of alexa McAllister in there i I would like to see morocco do it so I'm, i'm half and half between the two um france no because obviously they knocked out england and croatia no because they have no representative of the other 14 that's fair. I I'm in a similar boat to you in that I want Morocco to win. And I would rather the World Cup wasn't won by anyone than for any of the others to win it. Yeah. Because Croatia knocked us out in 2018. A mislead that was probably on us. And we would have lost to France in the final back then anyway. Yeah. Losing to France this time around felt particularly bitter because I thought we were the better team and I don't want France to win. Yeah. Argentina. Yes, they've got a couple of other 14 representatives. But when people ask about the Messi-Ronaldo, who's the better player, the truth of the matter is, I've come to discover, I just don't like either of them. (laughs) I don't want either of them to win. So the fact that Ronaldo's out, brilliant. But I don't want Messi to win the World Cup either, because all it leads to, all, all of that would result in in all the Twitter keyboard warriors going, anyway, Messi's on the world, Kevin Ronaldo hasn't. Literally, do oh, not care. I don't care about but football. Either. Doesn't exist just on Twitter, Reese. You've got to no, go beyond but, that. But football is bigger than just them two players. Everyone talks about who's the better player, Messi or Ronaldo. How about we just talk about how in those the times when those two have been playing, there have been phenomenal teams with phenomenal results and yep. phenomenal outcomes that don't involve them too. Because yeah. let's be honest. As much as Ronaldo is phenomenal, his goal-scoring record is electric, he has also been in some of the best teams in the world at the time. Same with Messi. Don't get me wrong, he's an absolute magician. He does phenomenal stuff, but he's always been in quality teams. I would rather turn around and say, who's your favourite player, Messi, Ronaldo or Vardy? I'll say Vardy, just because he's at, like he's gone from where he went to, where he is now, all the goals he scored, as part of for many seasons, a bang average Leicester side. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're not wrong. Um, and I'm not and saying I, Vardy's I, better than them, but I like him more. Yeah, sorry. I, no, no I, 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 I get the rant, I get the rant. Um, and I have been, I think at times, I think all of us have been cringing a little bit in terms of how all the media have just been sort of really sort of, whenever Messi gets the ball, they just all sort of like cream the pants and things like that. It, it, it has so a little overdone. bit much at times. It's even when they're walking, the, t- the teams are walking out before the match and they're going, oh, and in goal, you've, number one, you've got yeah. Emi Martinez and number two. And as, as they go through the team and then suddenly it's like, then every commentator has a script as long as your arm talking about Messi's accolades and how he's going to win yeah. the World Cup for them. And and I I find it and also going like looking at Ronaldo and the fact that when he was on the bench the other day there was literally all of the cameramen and women that were sort of on duty for that game they were all surrounding all surrounding the bench and taking pictures of Cristiano Ronaldo yeah ignore the eleven no... players on the pitch exactly forget about I, that I, I just and and the guy hasn't even sort of wanted to you know stay on at the end of full time he just as soon as the whistle goes he just he's straight off down the tunnel yeah not congratulating um, those moroccan players no. for the fact that they taught them a lesson no, um, exactly it's just, so it's, absolutely no time for it and i know this has been pretty much football for the last well since they came onto the scene what about 
well, what, 12, 13, yeah. 14 years ago? Yeah. Where the, like, the competition really started like becoming real with them too. But in that time, football so much more. It's been so much bigger. And it just irritates the living hell out of me that even going into this World Cup, it's like, or even into the quarterfinals, it's like, well, it's the final time these two will be competing at a World Cup. It probably won't be. They'll probably come back in four years because Ronaldo's going to sun himself in Saudi Arabia playing, I'm going to say Farmers League football. But let's be honest, it's not even that. It's much below that. It's Sunday League. And then Messi, he's just like he'll be able to play for another four years because he just walks around the pitch as if he's not interested. And don't get me wrong, he's made an amazing career out of doing that, of not doing much and then suddenly turning on being phenomenal. But it doesn't mean that I have to like either or that I want all of them to win or that football's about either of them. Let's be honest, can't they just be focused on the other players? Because if you think about how many column inches have been taken up by Messi or Ronaldo about this World Cup, while you compare it to the Morocco side, who have gone from pretty much massive obscurity with when we say about oh the big players in their team they've got what one premier league football player and a couple of ex-premier league football players and a few from the other big leagues of europe yep why are we not talking more about them why are we not talking about what this coach has done to make them play so well their defensive setup their counter-attack how they're pushing other teams they're stretching them defensively instead it's about oh well will will ronaldo come off the bench to beat morocco today it's like well, why don't we talk about how Morocco have beaten the former European champions? Yep, that yep. is more um, exciting to me. It pretty much sums up why we are, we are why we exist as a podcast. Yeah, pretty much because we're um, bored of all the talk about the big dogs, and yeah, particularly, I'm going to be quite brutal here and say, when Messi and Ronaldo are massive, p- anyway. Well, there you go. Y- you heard it here first. I just, I don't know, I. So when the no, going I, back I get, to the, going back to my original rant. question, who do you want to win? And you say Argentina. I guess I'm I'm I'm, I'm pretty yeah. I, I guess I should say Morocco now. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry to guilt you into changing your answer. But no, we do we do have a representative in Argentina. You know, we've got Alexi McAllister, we've got Emmy Martinez, who've both been playing fantastically well for Argentina this World Cup. Yes, they have. And, and but the thing is, the most heavily represented nation still left with other fourteen um, players. So mm-hmm. let's not forget that. True, but day after the World Cup's won, World Cup is won by Argentina. What will it say on the back page of all the newspapers? Will it say here are the tw- here is the twenty six man squad that won the World Cup, or will it be oh it's proven Messi is the best? Forget about everyone else on the pitch. In an alternate in an alternate universe, then I'm the first one. But yeah, yeah, it, it it will be absolutely covered with Messi just lifting up. You know, yeah, exactly. There's there's no two ways about it. That, that's going to be the picture. But they haven't won the it pitch, yet, so who knows? You, you can imagine the picture already, side by side with Maradona lifting the trophy as well. Yeah, and mm, oh, sorry, I need to calm down a second. No, that yeah, rant, rant, that's good. Rant's good. Okay. So these semi-finals, we've got Croatia v Argentina. Couldn't care. Like as we were talking about earlier in the show. I'm so just bored of football. I won't, it kicks, well, at the time of recording, it kicks off, I think, in about 90 minutes. I'm probably, I won't be watching on TV. I might have it on my phone next to me while I'm doing something else, like, I don't know, clipping my toenails or something. If Croatia force it to another sort of end of 120 minutes and force it to penalties after a nil-nil draw, I just, I just, I don't (sighs) get how that team can make it to a World Cup final. But, 
they've been coming in as in all fairness compared to a lot of the other teams they've been spoken about admittedly they got to the final last time but they have kind of been spoken about as this past team that are quite old quite old yep. and very much past their prime which i understand but do you not kind of respect the absolute kind of just nonsenseness that they've been able to push through round after round and as you say they've won one game yeah, I, 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 it pretty much sums up that tournament football is very difficult to win. And if you have a knack of being able to go through round after round this way and not necessarily winning games or playing decent football, but just by getting a form of result, whether it's penalties or literally a 1-0 win, they've obviously found a way that works for them. Because and as a fan... That has led them to a semi-final. As a fan, we talk, I know we're speaking about in terms of Premier League teams and their style of football versus actual the outcome of games, looking at at it from an international point of view, would you rather your team plays great football, goes unbeaten through the group stages and gets knocked out in the quarterfinal by playing well, or would you rather they get through to the semis through absolute nonsense and just somehow scraping through? Obviously, through absolute nonsense, because that's how that's how international football is. International football, the way you win things in international football is via knockout tournament football you know we have the world cup we have you know the nations league where the the final sort of knockings of it is like a round robin um and and then obviously the the euros as well or the cup of america or the africa cup of nations or whatever it's always done by tournament knockout football so it doesn't matter how you play it's just as long as you get through the games whereas Mm. if you're following a club and watching them week after week in the league you do want to see a little bit of decent football yeah. every now and again. But for internationals, completely agree. I just want a method of getting through. And I think that might, and that's, I think that's what Southgate has done. Going back to Southgate, yeah. I didn't mean to go to that point, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what he's done because, you know, that's how we've got to a final, a semi final, and a quarter final in the mm-hmm. last three major tournaments. So, mm-hmm. yeah, completely agree. Just it, it, I, that's as much as I'm, I think I'm still bitter because England aren't in the semi-finals about Croatia, and that's that's why I'm saying things about Croatia that I don't necessarily. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Mean it in in that sort of sense, but um, sort of thinking about it in a sort of a wider sense, they have done well, obviously, to get to to a semi-final. Mm. The way they've they've gone about it. No, that that is Although, true. If if I was a Croatian fan, I'd be pulling my hair out because there's no way I can be put through two two penalty shootouts. Oh, it's it's the manner in which they've managed to scrape it through yeah, each time. I, I, I think half of the... I'd be very surprised if there isn't like quite a percentage of Croatian supporters who haven't had heart attacks um, over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, it's going to be... It's going to be tough on them. Um, mm. So... Uh, and then the other one, Morocco-France. Easy one. We want Morocco to win. Morocco to win, please. Yeah, thank you very much. So, Tom, with the return of... Boxing Day football, it means we do have some fixtures for you to read through. Can you tell us what exciting games we have to look forward to this festive period? So for the Boxing Day fixtures, while we're all tucking into our cold meats and our pickled onions and whatnot, um, we have on... Well, these are all prime games, so we can look forward to Brentford against Spurs, the half-twelve kickoff. And then a round of three o'clock games between Crystal Palace and Fulham, Everton and Wolves, Leicester against Newcastle, uh, Southampton against Brighton. And then the evening kickoffs begin with Aston Villa hosting Liverpool and Arsenal are at home to West Ham for the eight o'clock kickoff to round off Boxing Day fixtures. Knowing all of us, we will probably be asleep by then. 
Oh, absolutely. There's no way. I am glad it's uh, an away game because there's no way. Be in food comas. Oh, there's no way I'm making it to the London Stadium in any fit state to watch a football <laughs> match. So, um, probably you and 60,000 others as well. I, I, absolutely. But I do bet probably the Emirates probably puts on a really good Boxing Day spread, I could imagine, of all the oh, stadiums the food that I've seen. Oh. Yeah, I know we don't like to big up the, uh, the, the big six, but if ignoring their on the field antics, bet Arsenal's Boxing Day food would be absolutely delightful. At Footy Scran, give us a shout. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And so, Tom, with the return of Premier League football on Boxing Day, it's not just presents we could be receiving over this Christmas period, but it could be points in the Fab Four predictions game. It's the return of the great game where us two, for listeners that haven't heard it before, we are going head-to-head each game week by predicting the outcomes of four Premier League fixtures between the other 14 teams where we get three points for a correct scoreline and one point for the correct result. This far through the season, Tom, you are on 20 points and I have a slim lead of 25 points. Still all to play for. Absolutely, still all to play for and we have just over half the season to go. So the fixtures we have to predict for the Boxing Day fixtures, we have Southampton v Brighton, Leicester v Newcastle, Crystal Palace v Fulham and Everton v Wolves. In my mind, these are all incredibly hard to predict because we've got no idea what the form of these teams is going to look like and any form they had before the World Cup means absolutely nothing. Uh, it, like It's so difficult to predict because I have absolutely no starting point whatsoever to know where any of the teams are right now. So mentally, I'm tossing and turning between all the teams would have forgotten how to defend and there'll be <laughs> goal fests, or all the strikers would have forgotten where the goal is and it'll be there will be snoozy fixtures. <laughs> so I'm absolutely clueless. I'm I might as well scribble some numbers on a piece of paper, rip it all up, throw it up in the air and then try and catch some. To be fair, um, that's what I'm half thinking as well. I thought that was your normal approach based on how well you're doing in this game. It's obviously got me 20 points so far, so I can't complain about it. <laughs> God, how bad would you be if you actually had to predict them? If I had, if I used logic, this, this game would be over by now. Uh, absolutely. So For me. So Southampton, with their new manager Nathan Jones in charge, this will be his first Premier League fixture. He's had a good couple of weeks to uh, suss out the squad and the team. They didn't have too many players go to the World Cup, or if he did, they would have most of them got knocked out in the group stages. So he would have had a fair amount of time with a lot of the team. And then we have Brighton, who a lot of, once again, their World Cup players got knocked out fairly early on. So um, De Zerbi, uh, would hope to continue some of that strong form that they went into the World Cup with. I, I genuinely don't know. The Southampton being a team that were looking pretty poor, but they do have a new manager... But the, it uh, it means nothing, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, trying to just use some form of logic sort of behind the Southampton storm going into this without a winning four. Brighton's run coming into this uh, fixture, two wins and a draw um, and two defeats in the last five. Seven points from five, which is pretty good from Brighton yeah. there. 
Brighton been scoring relatively freely um, in the last couple of games. There was a 3-2 win against Wolves and a 4-1 win against Chelsea, if you remember rightly. Um, Southampton not scoring much as it seems. So I am probably going to go for a 2-1 Brighton win. A 2-1 Brighton win. As you were saying all of that, I've really latched on to the Southampton don't score many. But that was under Hasenhutl. Yes, it was under Hasenhutl. Oh, and it's all changed. I don't like this. I think we could do a good compilation of us just sighing during this Blackport predictions. Based <laughs> on how... No words, just sounds. Because neither of us really want to predict this. And where it is pretty close, I feel that we could both be walking away with either zero points or we could actually somehow stumble across getting oh, all I've points from this. I'm walking away with zero points from this right now. Absolutely. Okay. So then looking at the next fixture... Um... Are you going to make a prediction or not? Oh, good point. <laughs> I, I've, <laughs> I, I've written it down. Um, I, I, I put that I think Brighton will win 3-2. I'm thinking okay. Christmas goal fest. Yeah, let, I'm all for Let that. those that travel to the Saints have a, a grand old time. Okay, next game, Leicester v Newcastle. So we have obviously Leicester being... The, the previous challenger to the big six out of the other 14. And now we have Newcastle, who are absolutely thundering their way through to European football. Um, five wins out of their last five games. They're on an incredible run. It's unbeaten in 10 now. Um, yeah, also, Leicester, four wins out of five. So yeah, they're two form teams a, of the other 14. They are the two form teams. They've absolutely turned it... Well, Leicester oh, absolutely God. turned it around because... They were looking really shaky. And then you did a yep. podcast talking about how they're going to get relegated. And so, then they've Brendan, turned thank, thank me for that. Yeah. Because I, I feel that has been the um, the catalyst. You know what? He probably did write in because I know he listened. So I maybe just need to check the spam uh, just to make sure. Um, if you so... stay steady to me one more time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please don't do that accent ever again. Um, <laughs> okay. So we have the two form teams of the other 14. Both know how to score a goal. Once again, in my mind, Christmas Bonanza. Anyone that makes their way to the King Power Stadium is going to have a great time uh, on the Boxing Day. And two teams that had a lot of players go away to the World Cup. Oh, did they both have a lot of players? I I, I feel it was relatively evenly matched in terms of numbers. That's actually made me think, in terms of for... Well, obviously, Leicester had a, uh, James Madison go for England and a couple of others from uh, other countries. The big one for me is that Bruno has only just been knocked out with Brazil, hasn't he? Yes. So that could be quite influential. Oh, and I've just uh, completely forgot. Hang on, we've just completely forgot. We've, done, we've locked in the results now, but we don't know when McAllister is going to be back for Brighton at all, do we? Uh, no, but they have oh, well, Trossard back. So... That's true, they do have Trossard. Um, after a dismal Belgian performance in yeah, the World Cup. Leicester, Leicester have seven players and Newcastle have five or had five, depending on what? who's been. I presume, I think all of them have been knocked out now, actually. Yeah, I'd imagine that's the case. I honestly couldn't tell you who Leicester's five were. Um, well, you've got Castagna, Tillemans. Yeah, Castagna, um, Tillemans, Madison. They then would have had. Um, uh, Vuitfez. Oh, um, oh, God. Who? Oh, who else? I forgot about them. Amati, Vagana. Yeah. I'm sure there's one other that I'm missing. Danny Ward, obviously, for Leicester. Oh, God, Danny Ward is... For Wales, rather. Um, yeah, yeah well, much, that that, the World Cup probably didn't do, do him much good. No. Okay, so, predicting this game, I'm going to go, once again, a Christmas spectacular. 
I'm going to <laughs> feel so stupid. Um, I'm going to go for a 4 2 Leicester win and Leicester ending Newcastle's run. You're going for a goal first. Um, defensively, Leicester have been good the last couple of games. Um, but they but haven't had is, to play Miguel Amoron, who knows how to score no. from everywhere. I am tempted to just say that it will be a close game, but I think Newcastle will probably eke it out and it might actually just be a bit of a ball fest because I think they're two relatively evenly sized up teams. I will probably go for a 1-0 Newcastle win. Oh, that is very boring. Yep, sorry. Sorry to break it that way, but... That's absolutely fine. And then... The next uh, three o'clock kickoff we have on Boxing Day is the Andy Johnson derby with Crystal Palace playing Fulham. Um, in terms of how these teams were faring up before the World Cup, um, Fulham had well were looking really strong, and then their last couple of results took a little bit of a downturn. Well, they did have to play City and uh, United. Understandably, that they might not be able to get all six points from those games then. Mm. And then um, with Crystal Palace, um, it's been on and off for them, hasn't it? Some games they're looking great. So they, I don't feel they've had a real constant run of form. Yeah. It's uh, been I, here I, and I would, there. I would probably describe Palace as consistently inconsistent. Mm. So um, three wins out of the last five, although did come into the um, the break with a 1-0 defeat. Um, against Nottingham Forest, um, but they will be back at home again uh, at Selhurst. So I think bottom boxing day, I think that place is going to be bouncing. I would probably go toward the fav uh, the side of Palace eking this one out, and I, 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 I think this might be one of the goal fests. I think I'll probably go for a Crystal Palace three Fulham two result. Ooh. Well, in terms of Fulham goal scoring, I don't think that's really going to let up because they've been very good so far this season. And Mitrovic did continue throughout the World Cup. He got some very good goals. I think uh, he's still the golden boot uh, leader at the moment. For the other 14? Yeah. Oh, in all fairness, that's not getting beaten now. And I'm just trying to... Well, unless McAllister ups McAllister. his game. Or who else have we got? Well, we've got, oh. we've got McAllister... We've got Emmy Martinez, we've got Alfonso Ariola, and we've got Nai Figuerd. Who's and out injured, I think. I'm pretty sure he's out injured. So unless the goalies decide to... So effectively, it's up, up to McAllister. It's up to McAllister to challenge her, uh, that from Mitrovic. So it's a pretty poor, pretty low bar set. I am yep. um, going to go for a... I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw. I don't know. I, I just see goals, goals, yeah. goals. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's too, um, too out of the blue. Yeah, and then finally we have the uh, Connor Cody welcoming his former teammates to Ooh, Goodison with Everton v Wolves, and <laughs> it's not great for either of them, is it? Leading not up to really. the World Cup, I mean, Wolves, Wolves... With one point from five, and Everton yeah. with four points from five. It's not Ever- been great. Everton, well, at the start of the season, I was bad mouthing them and Frank Lampard, and they proved me wrong. And then I start to be complimentary of them, and then they've fallen down the table. Like, uh, oh, is like it possible for both teams to lose? Because <laughs> it, it feels like both of these teams should. But all of do have a new manager, Julian Lopetegui, yes. which once again makes this very hard to predict because he's had 
for the most part, a lot of his squad with him. Um, a couple of key members out with Portugal for the most part. Mm. And then Everton without, well, without their main man in goal, Jordan Pickford, who's Cody, only recently Pickford, made his way back. Onana. Mm. Some of them back sooner than others. Yeah. But, oh, I think you're right. Can both teams lose? Thing is, neither team have been able to, they've not been great at putting the ball in the net, have they? No, I, I that's think fundamentally teams... the issue, and I do think it might end up being a nil-nil or a one-all. That's <laughs> that's sort of what I'm going for. I think both teams will come into the or sort of come away from the World Cup, and as long as they, you know, I think they will look at this game thinking just get off to a good start after the break. As long as we don't lose, so I think that pretty much sets it up for a bit of a probably a snore fest, bit of a draw. Um, I'm going for and you've mentioned one of the results already they don't score a lot these two teams I am going to go for a one-all draw well, you're going for a one-all draw I think Everton will scrape a 1-0 win and it'll be okay so if Lopetegui has a lot of work to do or yep. Wolves are going to come out and be absolutely phenomenal and it'll be crying yeah. Barcelona <laughs> quite possibly oh that Felt a lot harder than it should have been um, predicting those I, games. I, I feel that was tougher than sort of managing England through a World Cup. So you know, Gareth, yeah. sort of sort your shit out. <laughs> let's let's hope we uh, have better outcomes than England in the World Cup. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, just one referee working against us. Over the Christmas period, the podcast may be a little inconsistent in terms of release dates and times, as life gets busy for well us and the footballing calendar, but. On Christmas Eve, we will be releasing a little, well, a little present into the stockings of Ooh. all our listeners, as we do have a Christmas bonus episode for you. And as everyone knows at Christmas, there's nothing better than a little quiz to bring some Yuletide joy to everyone. So keep an eye out for that on your podcast platform of choice. That does bring us to the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode with Tom and myself. Please do subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice and recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. So Tom, I will see you next time after probably a lot of football fixtures. So a lot of fixtures, a lot of food, a lot of drink. Absolutely. So it's a goodbye from me. And it's a Merry Christmas from me. And we'll see you next time on the Other 14 podcast.